Part three of The Lion and the Unicorn by Richard Harding Davis. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Carolyn. Part three. So for several hours she drove slowly up and down, sunk far back in the cushions of the cab, and staring with unseeing eyes at the white enamelled tariff at the black dashboard she assured herself that she was not jealous of marion because in order to be jealous she first would have to care for philip in the very way she could not bring herself to do she decided that his interest in marion hurt her because it showed that philip was not capable of remaining true to the one ideal of his life she was sure that this explained her feelings she was disappointed that he had not kept up to his own standard that he was weak enough to turn aside from it for the first pretty pair of eyes but she was too honest and too just to accept that diagnosis of her feelings as final she knew there had been many pairs of eyes in america and in london and that though philip had seen them he had not answered them when they spoke no she confessed frankly she was hurt with herself for neglecting her old friend so selfishly and for so long a time his love gave him claims on her consideration at least and she had forgotten that and him and had run after strange gods and allowed others to come in and take her place and to give him the sympathy and help which she should have been the first to offer and which would have counted more when coming from her than from any one else she determined to make amends at once for her thoughtlessness and selfishness and her brain was pleasantly occupied with plans and acts of kindness it was a new entertainment and she found she delighted in it she directed the cabman to go to solomon's and from there sent philip a bunch of flowers and a line saying that on the following day she was coming to take tea with him she had a guilty feeling that he might consider her friendly advances more seriously than she meant them but it was her pleasure to be reckless her feelings were running riotously and the sensation was so new that she refused to be circumspect or to consider consequences who could tell she asked herself with a quick frightened gasp but that after all it might be that she was learning to care from solomon's she bade the man drive to the shop in cranbourne street where she was accustomed to purchase the materials she used in painting and fate which uses strange agents to work out its ends so directed it that the cabman stopped a few doors below this shop and opposite one where jewellery and other personal effects were bought and sold at any other time or had she been in any other mood what followed might not have occurred but fate in the person of the cabman arranged it so that the hour and the opportunity came together 
there were some old mezzotints in the window of the loan-shop a string of coins and medals a row of new french posters and far down to the front a tray filled with gold and silver cigarette-cases and watches and rings it occurred to helen who was still bent on making restitution for her neglect that a cigarette-case would be more appropriate for a man than flowers and more lasting and she scanned the contents of the window with the eye of one who now saw in everything only something which might give philip pleasure the two objects of value in the tray upon which her eyes first fell were the gold seal-ring with which philip had sealed his letters to her and lying next to it his gold watch there was something almost human in the way the ring and watch spoke to her from the past in the way they appealed to her to rescue them from the surroundings to which they had been abandoned she did not know what she meant to do with them nor how she could return them to philip but there was no question of doubt in her manner as she swept with a rush into the shop there was no attempt either at bargaining in the way in which she pointed out to the young woman behind the counter the particular ring and watch she wanted they had not been left as collateral the young woman said they had been sold outright then any one can buy them helen asked eagerly they are for sale to the public to any one the young woman made note of the customer's eagerness but with an unmoved countenance yes miss they are for sale the ring is four pounds and the watch twenty-five twenty-nine pounds helen gasped that was more money than she had in the world but the fact did not distress her for she had a true artistic disregard for ready money and the absence of it had never disturbed her but now it assumed a sudden and alarming value she had ten pounds in her purse and ten pounds at her studio these were just enough to pay for a quarter's rent and the rates and there was a hat and cloak in bond street which she certainly must have her only assets consisted of the possibility that some one might soon order a miniature and to her mind that was sufficient some one always had ordered a miniature and there was no reasonable doubt but that some one would do it again for a moment she questioned if it would not be sufficient if she bought the ring and allowed the watch to remain but she recognized that the ring meant more to her than the watch while the letter as an old heirloom which had been passed down to him from a great-grandfather meant more to philip it was for philip she was doing this she reminded herself she stood holding his possessions one in each hand and looking at the young woman blankly she had no doubt in her mind that at least part of the money he had received for them had paid for the flowers he had sent to her in scotland the certainty of this left her no choice 
she laid the ring and watch down and pulled the only ring she possessed from her own finger it was a gift from lady gower she had no doubt that it was of great value can you lend me some money on that she asked it was the first time she had conducted a business transaction of this nature and she felt as though she were engaging in a burglary we don't lend money miss the girl said we buy outright i can give you twenty-eight shillings for this she added twenty-eight shillings helen gasped why it is worth oh ever so much more than that that is all it is worth to us the girl answered she regarded the ring indifferently and laid it away from her on the counter the action was final helen's hands rose slowly to her breast where a pretty watch dangled from a bow knot of crushed diamonds it was her only possession and she was very fond of it it also was the gift of one of the several great ladies who had adopted her since her residence in london helen had painted a miniature of this particular great lady which had looked so beautiful that the pleasure which the original of the portrait derived from the thought that she still really looked as she did in the miniature was worth more to her than many diamonds but it was different with helen and no one could count what it cost her to tear away one proud possession what will you give me for this she asked defiantly the girl's eyes showed greater interest i can give you twenty pounds for that she said take it please helen begged as though she feared if she kept it a moment longer she might not be able to make the sacrifice that will be enough now she went on taking out her ten-pound note she put lady gower's ring back upon her finger and picked up philip's ring and watch with the pleasure of one who has come into a great fortune she turned back at the door oh she stammered in case any one should inquire you are not to say who bought these no miss certainly not said the woman helen gave the direction to the cabman and closing the doors of the hansom sat looking down at the watch and the ring as they lay in her lap the thought that they had been his most valued possessions which he had abandoned for ever and that they were now entirely hers to do with as she liked filled her with most intense delight and pleasure she took up the heavy gold ring and placed it on the little finger of her left hand it was much too large and she removed it and balanced it for a moment doubtfully in the palm of her right hand she was smiling and her face was lit with shy and tender thoughts she cast a quick glance to the left and right as though fearful that people passing in the street would observe her and then slipped the ring over the fourth finger of her left hand she gazed at it with a guilty smile and then 
covering it hastily with her other hand leaned back clasping it closely and sat frowning far out before her with puzzled eyes to carroll all roads led past helen's studio and during the summer while she had been absent in scotland it was one of his sad pleasures to make a pilgrimage to her street and to pause opposite the house and look up at the empty windows of her rooms it was during this daily exercise that he learned through the arrival of her luggage of her return to london and when day followed day without her having shown any desire to see him or to tell him of her return he denounced himself most bitterly as a fatuous fool at the end of the week he sat down and considered his case quite calmly for three years he had loved this girl deeply and tenderly he had been lover brother friend and guardian during that time even though she had accepted him in every capacity except as that of the prospective husband she had never given him any real affection nor sympathy nor help all she had done for him had been done without her knowledge or intent to know her to love her and to scheme to give her pleasure had been its own reward and the only one for the last few months he had been living like a crossing-sweeper in order to be able to stay in london until she came back to it and that he might still send her the gifts he had always laid on her altar he had not seen her in three months three months had been to him a blank except for his work which like all else that he did was inspired and carried on for her now at last she had returned and had shown that even as a friend he was of so little account in her thoughts of so little consequence in her life that after this long absence she had no desire to learn of his welfare or to see him she did not even give him the chance to see her and so placing these facts before him for the first time since he had loved her he considered what was due to himself was it good enough he asked was it just that he should continue to wear out his soul and body for this girl who did not want what he had to give who treated him less considerately than a man whom she met for the first time at dinner he felt he had reached the breaking-point that the time had come when he must consider what he owed to himself there could never be any other woman save helen but as it was not to be helen he could no longer with self-respect continue to proffer his love only to see it slighted and neglected he was humble enough concerning himself but of his love he was very proud other men could give her more in wealth or position but no one could ever love her as he did he that hath more let him give 
he had often quoted to her defiantly as though he were challenging the world and now he felt he must evolve a makeshift world of his own a world in which she was not his only spring of acts he must begin all over again and keep his love secret and sacred until she understood it and wanted it and if she should never want it he would at least have saved it from many rebuffs and insults with this determination strong in him the note helen had left for him after her talk with marian and the flowers and the note with them saying she was coming to take tea on the morrow failed to move him except to make him more bitter he saw in them only a tardy recognition of her neglect an effort to make up to him for thoughtlessness which from her hurt him worse than studied slight a new regime had begun and he was determined to establish it firmly and to make it impossible for himself to retreat from it and in the note in which he thanked helen for the flowers and welcomed her to tea he declared his ultimatum you know how terribly i feel he wrote i don't have to tell you that but i cannot always go on dragging out my love and holding it up to excite your pity as beggars show their sores i cannot always go on praying before your altar cutting myself with knives and calling upon you to listen to me you know that there is no one else but you and that there never can be any one but you and that nothing is changed except that after this i am not going to urge and torment you i shall wait as i have always waited only now i shall wait in silence you know just how little in one way i have to offer you and you know just how much i have in love to offer you it is now for you to speak some day or never but you will have to speak first you will never hear a word of love from me again why should you you know it is always waiting for you but if you should ever want it you must come to me and take off your hat and put it on my table and say philip i have come to stay whether you can ever do that or not can make no difference in my love for you i shall love you always as no man has ever loved a woman in this world but it is you who must speak first for me the rest is silence the following morning as helen was leaving the house she found this letter lying on the hall table and ran back with it to her rooms a week before she would have let it lie on the table and read it on her return she was conscious that this was what she would have done and it pleased her to find that what concerned philip was now to her the thing of greatest interest she was pleased with her own eagerness her own happiness was a welcome sign and she was proud and glad that she was learning to care she read the letter with an anxious pride and pleasure in each word that was entirely new 
philip's recrimination did not hurt her they were the sign that he cared nor did his determination not to speak of his love to her hurt her for she believed him when he said that he would always care she read the letter twice and then sat for some time considering the kind of letter philip would have written had he known her secret had he known that the ring he had abandoned was now upon her finger she rose and crossing to a desk placed the letter in a drawer and then took it out again and re-read the last page when she had finished it she was smiling for a moment she stood irresolute and then moving slowly toward the centre-table cast a guilty look about her and raising her hands lifted her veil and half withdrew the pins that fastened her hat philip she began in a frightened whisper i have i have come to the sentence ended in a cry of protest and she rushed across the room as though she were running from herself she was blushing violently never she cried as she pulled open the door i could never do it never End of part three.